Well, good morning. Thank you for coming out this morning. Um, thank you for uh, joining us online if you're doing that. Um, and for those of you who have come out and decided to watch it again online, which might be uh, unlikely, uh, then thank you twice. Um, I have a, a certain admiration for speakers who who can tell a story, perhaps from their lives or the lives of somebody else, perhaps from events, uh, historical, current, um, or even making up a story that, that gives us an illustration or a picture that helps us understand the message that they bring. It's a real gift. Um, and I, it's, it's one that I, I enjoy seeing. Um, perhaps it helps us understand the message. Perhaps we remember the lesson later because we remember the story and that's how helpful these things can be and I wonder if that's how we think about Jesus parables um, is that that what Jesus is doing as you've heard um, we are going to be looking at some of Jesus parables over the next few weeks and we're starting this morning uh, with the parable of the sower um, now, I'm going to look at that parable briefly this morning, because if you'll allow me, I want to talk a little bit about parables, just generally about parables and, and how we understand them. So that's, that's my plan for this morning. So parables um, are not exclusive to Jesus and Perhaps you can do something to get that working at the back. But parables are not exclusive to Jesus. Um, there is, it's known that the Pharisees actually used parables um, to reinforce uh, the laws that, that people kind of knew. They were burdening people with laws and then they would give them pictures to help reinforce them. But when it comes to Jesus, his parables were about introducing fresh insight and new concepts. Um, so he'd be looking at something like the kingdom of God. Um, and then he would use a parable to help explain that because we can't really picture that ourselves. In scripture you find that parables are only found in the New Testament within the gospel. So we associate parables with Jesus. Uh, there are a few parables in the Old Testament we don't always refer to them as parables, but one example uh, would be Nathan when he admonishes David about his behavior with Bathsheba and his behavior towards Uriah. And he tells him a story, and you can read about that in Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 12. And that, you know, it, it, it just helps lead in to soften the way into actually addressing this king and saying, you were wrong. But is Jesus' parables just simply an illustration? Are they pictures that help us understand a message? Well, in part, that's true. Um, I think we, nobody would argue with that. There's a bit of a window into what Jesus is trying to teach us from the story that he tells. Or perhaps it's deeper than that, and perhaps he's using Allegory. Now, you might think of allegory as like Aesop's fables. Very simple tale. Kids can enjoy, for example, the tortoise and the hare. 
But actually, when you look at it more closely, it's talking about the human condition of human behavior. And it's something that's been used in literature over many years. So you can think about uh, Pilgrim's Progress, or you can think about Animal Farm, or UNESCO's play Rhinoceros. Now, somebody could read Animal Farm and say, well, it was a, quite a good story. It was a nice story or, about animals and taking over a farm. And somebody else could say, that's a ridiculous story. Um, but it's not until you study deeper, till you look in behind it, you discover it's an allegory for communism. Or uh, rhinoceros is an allegory for the rise of fascism. Because um, that is a ridiculous story without understanding something of it. Um, in my opinion. <laughs> so it, is it illustration? Is it allegory? Well, I think it's a bit of both here as well. The word parable uh, comes from Greek root and it comes from two words. So you get, first of all, the prefix para, which means something alongside something else. So think parallel lines or think a paralegal, someone that works alongside a lawyer. The second part of it is below, which means to throw or to hurl. So a parable effectively is something that is thrown alongside something else. So if we think about it in a little table like this, what you have is a concept and a message that's being shared. There's a lesson to learn. And thrown alongside it is the parable, the story that helps illustrate, helps us, t- helps take us into that message, helps us to understand it. But why did Jesus use parables? Well, we would argue that it's to help the, the listeners of the time, the readers of today, to understand what Jesus' teaching is. And you'll notice that all his parables are set in a, a, a familiar surrounding. So um, it's farming or, or vineyards. So people who were listening at the time would immediately know what he was talking about at that level. And even today, if we don't know very much about farming, um, you know, if we're city dwellers all their lives or whatever. We do know enough um, about these things. So when it comes to the sower, we know enough about sowing seed and about fertile soil and um, why seed won't grow in certain places. But if it was to help people, why did we read this in the passage? Why did we see this in the passage? That it's those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. And that's lifted from Isaiah in chapter 6. And if we look at the parallel uh, verse in, in Mark, he, he expands that slightly and he says that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So, is is Jesus talking in parables so that we don't understand, that we don't turn from our sins, that we don't look for forgiveness? Well, clearly that's not true. That is completely different from the whole of gospel teaching, the whole of the scriptures, and the whole purpose of Jesus' coming. He came to save that we might turn from our sins, that we might see him as the one who died on the cross and paid for our sins, Repent of those sins and seek forgiveness. Be saved because of what he's done. So that's clearly not what this can mean. And perhaps just to put it in a little bit of context, if you look at Isaiah in chapter 6, 
God is looking for a prophet to send to people to bring his message uh, to them. And Isaiah says, send me. And the, the passages that come after that from which these are drawn, God is really kind of setting some expectations for Isaiah. So this isn't going to be a, a, a walk in the park for you. Uh, you're going to go here and people are not going to listen. They've hardened their hearts against me and they're not going to turn. So when you give them my message and I'm, I'm sending you to tell them this and then we'll see again that they are not listening. They don't want to hear what I have to say to them. And so you could say that the parables in a sense are, are there to make you work a little bit to understand the message. They help us to see the message, but we have to look behind what the parable is talking about. It's no good talking about Animal Farm as being a story about animals. We need to look beyond that. So it's not just about a sower and a seed. We need to understand what that's about. Jesus didn't use um, parables in his early ministry. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, for example... Um, he uses imagery, certainly, um, salt and light, but it's not parables. And even as he spoke directly to people, they didn't want to hear. Many of them, they didn't want to know. Their hearts were hardened against the word of God. And they didn't want to know. Or they didn't want to find out what it's telling them about themselves. So direct teaching didn't make this any easier or difficult for anybody. And when Jesus speaks in parables, or he uses parables, they're of little interest or meaning to, to many people. They, they don't want to look beyond it. Be, there would be those who would hear it, hearing and not understanding. Um, they would see that as a story about farming. That's nothing to do with me. Or else it was a case of he's getting at me, so I don't want to, to look at this. And it needs genuine seekers to then delve beyond that surface level to understand what Jesus is meaning. And as we seek to understand what God is telling us or what Jesus is telling us in the parables, because this applies to all of Scripture actually, as we seek to understand, God will reveal the key to unraveling the truth. To the extent that God wants us to understand, through his spirit, he will make clear what he is teaching, if we are genuinely seeking to understand. Now, he might do that by through his spirit. It's definitely by God. It's not of our own doing. Um, but he might do it by opening up our minds and our intellect to actually grasp just get what it's saying here or it might be he'll take us into a situation and in that situation we think oh that's what you meant or it might simply be getting somebody alongside a teacher a commentator somebody who explains it to us but we need to be looking and then we have to interpret what jesus is saying in the parable now, interpreting, interpreting uh, parables has been the subject of lots of theological discussion over many years, and it goes on yet. And one of the views, and particularly amongst earlier commentators, 
was that it was allegorical. Everything was allegory. There was a, a meaning to every aspect of the story. Now, I don't want to step in the toes of anybody speaking in, in future weeks. Um, but if we take, for example, the parable of the prodigal son, this would mean that they would apply uh, some meaning to the father who represented somebody, the brothers who represented somebody, and then it would keep digging down. So the robe that was put on the returning son's shoulder would have to have some kind of meaning, and the ring would have to have a meaning. And it didn't necessarily look at the fact that Jesus is telling a story, and you know, in order to make it mean something, um, you know, he's he's got painting a picture, but it had to have a meaning. Now, there's two for me. There's two problems with that approach, and I'm not saying that there isn't some meaning to be found that, that I haven't seen even. But um, there's two problems, I think. One is that you get so immersed in the little minuti of the story that you miss the message. And then if you're interpreting something completely incorrectly, then you might be skewing the message that Jesus has. What's important is the message that Jesus is bringing to us. The other problem with it, of course, is that theological debate then starts to rest on some little uh, insignificant detail and not on the message that Jesus is bringing. You know, somebody says, oh, the ring represents this. And somebody said, no, 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 it's something else. And no, no, it's, it's something else. And so you get caught up in, in the focus on something that is completely unhelpful in my mind. The other view, of course, is then that there is no allegory. Uh, there's a key message that Jesus has to share. And you can't ascribe any meaning to any component in that. Um, well, I think... This is right in the sense that it is one or more key message that Jesus is sharing in his parables. But in order to get to that message, we have to understand the picture that Jesus is painting. And so there may well be an element of allegory in that. And therefore, I think the healthier approach and correct approach, which a number of thinkers do, is a bit of a hybrid Uh, Absolutely, the key message that Jesus has to share, that's what's important. We have to understand what is Jesus telling us in this parable. Uh, but in order to get there, we need to understand the picture that he's painting, which may have elements and probably has, and in some cases certainly has, elements of allegory, as we're about to find out. So the sower. Finally, we get to the sower. This this parable, let's look at that. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm tr- going to try and look at it a little bit in the framework of what I've talked about parables. Hopefully it's helpful. Um, if it's not helpful, just ignore everything that I say. But if it's helpful, it might help as we look at the parables over the next few weeks and indeed in our own studies. And the one thing about this so, uh, parable right at the start is we know there's an explanation recorded for it. So we don't have to dig very deep to understand this one. Jesus tells us what it is. Um, Now that helps us. It helps us with this one, but perhaps it helps us with future ones because we can see where Jesus is drawing the parallels and how he's explaining what what he says. And of course, it is set in a familiar setting. So it's in farming. So somebody, again might read this and say, well, it's a simple story about farming. I know about that and walk away from it. Um, But what 
we need to do is delve deeper. So the disciples say they didn't understand it and they sought an explanation. So they're the ones that are then saying, Jesus isn't going to just talk about this. Jesus has a message for us. What is it? How, how can I understand this story in, in terms of how it relates to me? And so they take the right approach and look for an explanation. And as Jesus explains this, there are clearly allegorical elements. So anybody argues there's no allegory in any of these, well, Jesus has proven them wrong in this situation. Um, because he talks about the seed. And he says it represents the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And then he talks about the different soil and, and what that represents. So there's clear allegorical elements in this parable. But there's a key message to be understood. And the key message here is about how we receive, how we respond to the word of God. Now, I'm just going to throw this in. You can take this or leave it as you may. But it follows a pattern that somebody's, some people have identified as, as three-point parables. Now, they apply to most parables, not all of them, but, but most of them. And the three-point parable simply is this, that in the parable, parable there are three characters or components. There is an authoritative one, and there are two contrasting subordinates. Um, if, you, if we go back to the parable of the prodigal son, you can see that shape. There's a father who would be the authoritative figure, and the sons who are the contrasting subordinates. Applying it to the parable of the sower, <clears throat> then you have the sower, who would be the authoritative one. Although, Jesus doesn't say anything about the sower and what he says. So perhaps the seed itself is the authoritative. It's, it's up for debate. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the message that he has. But we can see the contrasting subordinates and the fruitful seed and the unfruitful seed. And this becomes a complex three-point parable uh, because there's a breakdown of one of those components and we see the seed on the path, the seed among rocks, seed among thorns. I just share that with you um, because I found it out and you might find it interesting. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter. But let's look at the 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 parable in terms of the little table that I shared. So you can see that there's a concept, there's something that Jesus wants to teach here and he uses a parable. So he, he throws alongside the message that it has, this story. And it's a story of the sower, the seed and the soil. And as he explains it to us, and that's where it's really helpful for us, um, that he tells us that the seed is the word of God. So in this parable you see the picture is the seed and the, what it represents is the word of God. And then he talks about the different soils. So he talks about the good soil um, and he, he, he calls that, he says that represents those of us who will hear, retain and persevere and produce and I've called this a legitimate response. This is a response 
that God is wanting from us. This is a response that Jesus gives us this message to point out to us. This is how you need to respond to the word of God. Um, and the other part that, that falls on, on the path, the rocky ground, the thorns, is basically the non-legitimate response, if you like. I've called it a limited or no response. And he breaks that down to uh, the path and the, the rocky ground and the thorns. And we can see that as hardened hearts, as basic superficiality, or having a vested interest in the things of this world. There's a clear parable thrown alongside the message that he wants to convey. Now it's one thing to read it and not to walk away from it. It's another thing to understand it. To say, okay, that's, that's what this parable is about. But whenever we come to God's word, there's another step that we always have to take. So we read, we understand, and we apply we need to apply it in our lives. So, what is the application of this parable for us? Well, I think <clears throat> this morning we ought to ask ourselves a question. And not only ask ourselves a question, we need to ask, answer it honestly. Or perhaps more challenging. Maybe ask somebody else to answer it honestly on our behalf. And the question is this. Do we equate to the good soil? Are we the ones who hear God's word? Who retain it? Who respond to it? And respond to it through good and bad, whatever circumstances that we produce. The crop that God has called us to do. The good works that he's called us to do. Now by retaining I don't think this is about learning verses um, and having them readily to mind. There's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that's what's been talked about here, about having those verses to regurgitate at any time, which is fine if we do that uh, wisely and in the right situations. This, for me, is about soaking up God's word in our lives and then living it out. It's retaining it in the way that we live our lives. And then responding to it. And responding to it in whatever circumstances. To the extent that we are serving God effectively. Now Jesus doesn't tell us anything about the crop. You'll notice. So that says to me either. Um, or actually it says to me a couple of things. And one is that. The crop isn't as important as the behavior. Okay. The crop is important. That's the end result. But its significance in this parable is less than how we respond to God's word in our lives. Because if we are people who on hearing God's word retain it and respond to it and perseveringly respond to it, the crop will come. So it's about how we live in response to God's word. The other thing is that perhaps he doesn't talk about the crop because it could be different for different people. Um, you know, perhaps the crop for some is bringing people into God's family. 
uh, you know, and, and as they add to God's family, there's, there's a crop of living a good life and serving God. Perhaps it's about the impact you have in the lives of others by using your gift of encouragement. You know, that crop is what God has called you personally to produce using your gifts, and it will be different for different people. The important thing is that we hear, we retain, we respond and persevere so that we serve God well. Do we equate to the good soil or do we not? And Jesus helpfully gives us three pictures of those who fall short of being the good soil. So he talks here of hardened hearts. This is the seed that falls in the path. And no sooner is it there and it's gone. It gets trampled. It gets taken away by the birds. It's gone. And the devil whips it away. I wonder if there is anybody who's listening who would fall into that category. Uh, and if if you do consider yourself to be like this, then my encouragement is that you allow God to soften your heart, that you listen to his word. Don't just go away and forget the words that were read to us so helpfully this morning. But you think about them and think about how they apply or can apply in your life. Don't harden your hearts against the word of God. They did it in Isaiah's time. They did it in Jesus' time. And they do it today. So don't be like that. Then there's this superficiality um, where there's no root. This is a rocky soil. Um, and, and this, for me, this is clear that this, this parable is not about whether we accept Jesus as our Savior or not. It's not about that moment of decision when we hear the truth about Jesus and we respond to either by uh, repenting of our sins, accepting that he died for us, and, and, and being forgiven and saved through his work on the cross. It's not about that or, or saying, no, I don't want anything to do with that. This is ongoing. Um, because this, this one talks about those who joyfully receive the word of God. But there are no roots. And when the challenges come, it's gone. You think if you were to extend this parable, if I can do that reverently, you know, this this seed, this plant's not going to last when a heavy rain comes or the winds come or, or whatever it is. And we need to be rooted in the Word of God. We need to be rooted in God. And what what does that mean for us? So it means about not just hearing the word of God and finding that's a bit of a tonic and a pick-me-up. It's not about maybe coming to church and enjoying the time here and, and singing or, or whatever. But it's about commitment. I think it's about commitment. And we root more deeply into God and into his word when we are committed to his word and committed to him. So when we come to church, it's not simply about enjoying receiving some fellowship from people it's about giving to that fellowship it's about being involved in that fellowship and it's about recognizing the gift or gifts that god has given to us and using them in a church setting in a community setting whether it's work or or wherever 
but it's about serving God with the gifts that he gives. And we have a responsibility for to, to ensure that our roots in God, in his word, are getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And we have to ask ourselves this question. We might have said we equate to the good soil. But to what extent have we allowed the roots not to go any more deep than they are? To what extent are we kind of resting in our laurels? And we need to look at that, that we are not kind of got to a level and becoming slightly superficial at that level. And then thirdly, there's the, um, the, the, the seed that falls in the thorns. So this is where we maybe receive the word of God and we, we, we serve God, we do things for God. But actually our service is choked. It doesn't quite get to the level it should do because uh, we have a, an, another interest and it's the interest of the things of this world. So perhaps we're interested in the wealth and the possessions that this world offers. Perhaps about status, position. It's maybe about seeking to please people as much or more than we seek to please God. And actually we all need to be careful that there's not a little bit of this in all of us. To what extent are we not serving God because we're serving ourselves Attracted by the things in the world. That's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for all of us. So we need to ask ourselves. Do we equate to the good soil? And perhaps the other bit of that is how well do we equate to the good soil? To what extent are we hearing, retaining, responding and persevering with God's word? And how much is it limited either by our superficiality or by our worldliness? So this parable is about the sower. Well, it's called the parable of the sower, but it's about the seed. The seed is the word of God. It's about the soil. And the soil is you. The soil is me. And ask yourself today, how effective am I for the seed, for the word of God to be working in me and through me in order that I produce the crop that God calls me to? It's, it's a simple parable. Um, and actually it's a simple message, I think. But it's a challenging one. Um, and I think we all need to give it close consideration in our lives as we go forward. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus that are so helpful to us in, in understanding your relationship, the broken relationship with this world. But we thank you for the truth about Jesus who opens up that way for us to be reconciled to you through his death on the cross. But it doesn't stop there, Father. You ask us uh, to live our lives with our, with our minds on, on higher things, with our hearts on higher things, that we are looking to uh, your kingdom, 
while we live in this world. And you call us to uh, respond to your word in a way that serves you. And Father, we feel challenged by that. We know the extent. Each of us individually knows the extent to which the world draws us from you. Each of us knows the extent to which we uh, say no to getting involved in things that we don't want to do. Uh, That sort of cherry picking what elements of discipleship we should get involved in. Father, we just pray that you would challenge us to be those who would hear and retain and respond to your word, persevering that we would be the good soil, the the seed of, of, of what you're planting in our lives would be wholly fruitful. Father, challenge us today and prepare us today for the week, the months, the years to come that we would seek always to be like the good soil, that we would seek to persevere in responding to your word, in doing the things that you call us to do, that we might serve you well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.